Welcome back to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. This is episode 25. 25. That's right. One quarter in. Goal is 100. We're one fourth of the way there, believe it or not. It's been good. It's been really good. Hey, how you doing? It's been a week since we've uh, last sat down and uh, had an opportunity to chat with one another. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. We've got Chad and Sally back for part two, and we are talking a lot about experiential learning. We touch base a tiny bit on competencies and competency-based outcomes and competency-based education. So you hear us talk about that a little bit peppered here and there throughout the episode, but this one's mostly focused on experiential learning. Interesting quotes that came out of this that I wanted to bring to your attention was that outlines don't produce outcomes. And there's this idea of training versus education. It's a mindset change, really. It's really, that's what it is. And tools in the hands without reflection is not experiential learning. It's just experience. So there you go. Episode 25. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy this episode. There's a ton of stuff in here like the last one. And uh, again, about every 18, 20 minutes, I'm going to interject with a tiny bit of music just to kind of break up the monotony a tiny bit. Hey, thanks for joining in. We love to uh, have you here. Hope you enjoy it. Take care. We'll see you on the other side. All right, here we go. Ready? Three. Two, one. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> We're back. Whew. That was a good episode last week. Yeah, it was fun. That was a lot of fun. I'm looking oh. forward to getting deep, deeper into it. Mercy. Well, deep into the weeds. We already got deep into the weeds. How can we go any deeper? Yeah. We got to find know. our way out. Get a, <laughs> we'll find, yeah. Better start laying some breadcrumbs on the ground or something like that. How you doing? How's everybody? Good. Good, good. Yeah, Thank good. you. How are yeah. you? Have a good week. I'm, I'm good. This is my third podcast recording this week, so... Knocking out of the park. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Had a had a good session with uh, Arlie and crew from KPU. And then uh, yesterday had a great session with Brenna from TRU. Mm-hmm. Oh, mercy. That was fun. She's a lot of fun. She's hilarious. <laughs> oh, it was, it was, it was, it was a cross between. Well, I don't know what it was a cross between, but anyway, it was good. I don't want to give anything away because her episode won't be out for a couple of weeks after this, maybe a month or so. I need to so. give up work. I haven't got enough time to listen to all of the, like, yeah, I know. I've got to start <laughs> scheduling in podcast listening. There you go. Yep. It becomes part of your natural <laughs> day, right? Beautiful. Hey, okay. So we want to pick up from last week. We, we ended up coming close to the threshold of experiential learning. <laughs> And then Chad's like, nope, sorry, hour's up, got to go, yeah. right? Yeah. Got things to do, people to see. This is not Joe Rogan, Mr. Carson. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're very important people. We've got schedules to follow. <laughs> yeah, right. we can't go talking about experiential learning just like that, all in one go. Just yeah. like, nope, nope, nope. Got to hold mm-hmm. it in, hold it in. All right, you fine people, talk to me about experiential learning. What the snap is experiential <laughs> learning? Well, are we going to, are we talking about the theory, like a experience, like Kolb's theory of experiential learning? Do you want to start with that? Kind of. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Cause then, uh, the questions going down will be, uh, you know, we'll talk about some differences, just what, what distinguishes it, what underpins it, uh, is it an effective model for trades education? How can ed tech support EL? Mm-hmm. Look at that. That's just, I wrote that in just for you, Chad. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and then does EL have have to simulate real life? Ooh. 
Oh. Big questions. That's a good one. <laughs> good questions. Hope you brought your coffee. I did. Well, one. I mean, we'll we'll start digging into it. But one thing I like about EL or ELT or experiential learning theory is the reflective practice that's involved, and I right. think it's such an important part. And that's. I think we touched on it last week. We. I think Sally, you mentioned a little bit about the taking time to reflect on on our learning and how we don't often do that. I think we talked about the apprenticeship model. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned it, Tim, too, about how it's like, just here's what I did. You do it, move on. And it's so important for us to take that time for, and have some sort of built-in reflection. Now I know that's, that is completely out of the ballpark as far as trades training is concerned, because we don't typically have that word reflection, right? You get together with a bunch of <laughs> yeah. trades people and ask yeah, them to sit down right. and reflect and you'll get to see some hand gestures yeah. that you probably shouldn't see. <laughs> so. Get some pens thrown yeah. out. So there's, there's no reflecting. Trades. <laughs> we don't care what you think. Just do it. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's the whole thing, isn't it? The, like we need to add context to what we mean in with experiential learning. When we apply that to trades, what do we mean by that reflection? Which I think is kind of where you're about to head, um, Chad. But, you know, you bring forward a really good point. You start throwing that world word around in the context of trades and it definitely gets misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, just to get started, I guess maybe we should start with what there's four stages, I think, with um, ELT. There, it's concrete learning, reflection. Um, then there's abstract conceptualization. I just look at my notes now and active experimentation, right? So those are your four stages in experiential learning. And maybe we can unpack each one of those like concrete learning. When we talk about the concrete learning, like the first stage to me, almost, it feels like it's almost that behaviorism that we talked about last week, right? Inputs and outputs. And so I think it's, that's the important part. And I think I mentioned last week about how I think it's important and to avoid those binary situations where behaviorism, bad constructivism, good. I think this kind of meshes all that. And I I love how all these, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a little bit, but I just love how all these learning theories kind of intertwine with each other and kind of build off of each other, right? Because it's behaviorism. Yeah. yeah, it's, It's got its purpose. Constructionism, constructivism. I mean, you couldn't really have constructionism without constructivism. And then it all kind of meshes in and ELT kind of takes it all and says, okay, that's good. That's good. That's good. Let's mesh it together and see what we can do with that. So anyways, that's, I'm off the soapbox now. And so concrete learning. So that's, that's my that take on it. The, uh, it's the, I just got my, I just got settled in with my coffee. I'm just like, okay, you go, <laughs> yeah, yeah. go, go. We'll sit back here. Chance. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. That's right. I'm done. But yeah. So I, I think it's, yeah. it's important to have that. I think, especially in the trades, well, not especially in all education, you need to have that concrete learning that those inputs, you know, are outcomes that we have to hit and that our students need to learn certain foundational elements then right. I think it kind of moves into the next stage is that reflective observation. So what would you guys say about that? Mm-hmm. So explain to me a concrete, what, concrete learning. Like what, what does that even mean? Well, I guess it's kind of, the, it, for me anyways, it's the, the, the lecture part of things where like, here's what happens. Okay. Like maybe even the hands are showing them right. Mm-hmm. And getting them okay. to go through that. And again, I'm by no means an expert, but that's my kind of take you on it. You just finished a master's degree in this, man. Yeah. You're a master. But I'm not a doctor yet, though, so. <laughs> <laughs> although although with the current climate, I'm not sure if I should be using that M word right now. Yeah, that's true. 
Anywho. Anyway, sorry, I digress. <laughs> so you're, you're talking about concrete learning, hands-on kind of stuff. Well, right? not, not even hands-on, but just like um, theory-based or demonstrations, that sort of thing. Like just showing oh, people okay. what, what's involved and whether it's showing them a theory on a whiteboard or showing them how to pull wire, bend pipe or cut hair. You're kind of demonstrating right. and, and teaching, right? I think that's what the teaching is. But then oftentimes okay. what we, we do, and I think as subject matter experts, they do the, the concrete learning, but then they skip over reflective and they experiment and then they move into, they even focus or skip over abstract conceptualization and move right into experimentation. So they, you learn, then you uh, do, and there's yeah. nothing in between right, there. Right. And I think we talked last week about how it's important for us to have the foundations of the knowledge that we need to have. But in order for them to learn how to be innovative with that, they need to understand it. So and in order to them, for them to understand concepts, they need to reflect on them. So like we talked about right. with the jazz analogy last week, you know, your, mm-hmm. you know, your um, scales, you know, all that, you know, your time signatures and you know what they are. So you've learned about them, but then you need to reflect on how can I change that around? And now some people are better at that than others, but we can create. And I think this is where we can start talking about assessments and authentic assessments, but we can create these situations in which our students are kind of forced to reflect on these things. And I think that can be so very valuable, especially in trades education to have our students reflect on things so they can learn to be creative and innovative. And when you think about the best people in the trades, they're the ones that are creative and innovative because they think and they think, and we always use the term think outside the box. Well, how do they learn how to think outside the box? Mm -hmm. Right. So we've got to create these spaces to teach our students how to think outside the box. So where does critical thinking come into play? Because it's, it's such a big piece of, of essential skills, right? How, do, how does critical thinking fit into that or does it? Well, I think really critical thinking is, you know, is a part of a very, you know, intricate part of reflection. For me, it is. You can't, you know, when we, you know, when we think about, okay, reflective practice and, and, Donald Schoen, Schoen, is it Sean, that speaks about this, is this reflection in action as well. Mm-hmm. And so as educators, um, like, like Chad's just saying, we've got these, this, this concrete um, experience and then we've got this abstract and how this, you know, these, they get deconstructed. And I think that's where the behaviorism part becomes disruptive. Like we said last wow. week, yeah, if we're intentional about when we actually design some of our curriculum within that behaviorist framework, that's great if we do it deliberately. But then when we apply it to something like this, we're missing out this huge area of developing that full conceptual understanding because we're saying, yes, you can do it. Here you go. Now you can go and practice it. Now, if it's a psychomotor skill, that's exactly what it's going to look like. You've watched me do it. Now you're going to practice it. But Chad, you were saying last week, you know, I can teach you how to bend pipe and that's great. You can do it perfectly in the shop. The moment you get out there on the job site and there's a wall in the way or there's some other complications. This person's now got to think their way around how they're going to do this. This is when they come into Mm -hmm. using all of their senses. You know, that whole idea of seeing with your hands when you actually can't see where that pipe needs to go, but you've got to get your hands in there and, 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 you know, learn the direction that way. So I think that 
unless we're providing these opportunities, you know, with intent within our teaching, we are unfortunately, we can take something like this experience, which many educators or instructors refer to it as experiential learning because it's been done with their hands, but it actually isn't experiential. It just is an experience. Mm -hmm. If you take that reflection mm -hmm. piece away, and I think, Tim, you just summed it up. You know, what is critical thinking? Well, in, in Kolb's theory, the, the critical thinking is actually the piece that I, this is for me anyway, I believe it's just wrapped up in there underneath that heading of, of reflection. Okay. And there's, um, I don't know whether you, I'm sure Scott won't mind, there's um, an incredible guy out there in uh, the Boeing factory in um, Richmond, um, Scott Dixon, and he works with apprentices. And it's pretty interesting what he does. I think it's, he's redesigned their curriculum and they have about six months with these students where the whole of their practice is under the heading of reflective uh, practitioners. So really? <clears throat> where they could actually go and learn how to do the technical skills and mm -hmm. replace pieces in these um, huge engines, their whole focus is if they replace Hang on. <laughs> Sorry. If they replace something in a Boeing engine, what their, their focus is on is what's happening upstream of this widget and what's happening downstream of that widget. So then they are actually, what they're required to do is sit and write and write through the mm. whole complexity of that engine and oh, what part okay. that widget plays so you can see how that's a completely different approach he yes. said i can teach them the technical skills really in minutes how to replace that but the conceptual understanding is huge and i think you know when we say look at this in sort of a binary lens it's almost like some students are getting this but whereas other students in another setting they are just getting the experience without that you know that understanding behind it that's such a I, right it's so true and i just want to reiterate again what you said about how a lot of people think just the hands-on training is, and giving our students tools in their hands is experiential learning but it's not like mm -hmm. i love what you said there sally about how it's just an experience mm -hmm. and so and how and i think we're going to dig in on deeper on this but that reflection that reflective element is so very important and then i think Sean, he talks, is, he's one that talks about reflection in action and reflection on action, right? Yeah, yeah he so is, it, yeah. So we need to create those kind of instances. And it sounds like that's what Scott Dixon's doing here. Totally. In that he creates it in action and on action, right? Maybe we should unpack like to you, what does reflection in action versus on action? What's the difference between the two? Well, I, I mean, so reflection in action, I think, is about being very deliberate. It's, it's developing that mindset. So how do we develop that mindset that as students are actually, or apprentices, or as they're actually working there on, a, on an, um, an experiential opportunity, rather than focusing on the end result, actually having them focus on what the decisions they're making all the way through that. Mm. 
So I think to build that mindset, we have to be very deliberate about the questions that either as the, you know, the mentor there in that mentorship role, the questions that we're asking about the decisions that they're making. And I think that's how, I mean, I think that's how you become a very sort of mindful person when you're, um, you know, whatever your skill is, when you're performing that skill, being deliberate about the decisions you're making step by step, rather than actually saying, I know how this job is done. I'm just going to go in and do it just to fit these pieces together just as it's done. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's a completely different mindset. And to develop that mindset as educators, we have to We have to be there or we have to pose those questions so that it requires somebody to think about exactly what it is they're doing all the way through those actions and why they're doing them. And so at that point, like an instructor then isn't necessarily just a teacher, but they're almost the guide, right? Like they're there to, like, as we watch, as we take our students through this experience, then we're there to prod and push, right? Saying, well, why, why would you want to do that? Or why did you do that as they're working on it? As about, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, very, no, that's absolutely spot on. And I think that within, you mentioned about this last week with your students, when they're actually <coughs> working together and that they're either construct, they are constructing something together. Mm-hmm. And I think that provides excellent opportunities for that reflection in action because that dialogue between within the group as well, it's very hard to collaborate on something um, without that dialogue going on of why those decisions are being made. So I think they're forward looking as well, you mm-hmm. know, it's not just like as you're doing something or, but it's also being very cognizant of what decisions you're making moving forward as well. So I think collaboration um, is essential, whether it be the instructor or whether it be the, um, you know, the fellow classmates as such. But again, it depends on the problem we're giving those students to solve. So if it's a problem that they can solve without reflection on action or reflection in action, then they're not going to, they're not going to need that. So if, if I've demonstrated a skill and I've talked about projection angle, um, hand position, hand position in, um, in respect to the tool position and things like that. I've given all of these, the, all of these details. And then the students then sort of, you know, stand in rows and basically they're mimicking all of my actions. And some of them will be spot on. But the thing is that because they are able to copy, mimic what I'm doing, that doesn't require any of that problem solving, mm-hmm. you know, frame of mind. So I think this is where, the, you know, as educational designers, we come into this bit as well. We've got to create those scenarios, whether they be in, you know, the theoretical side of things and these are scenarios that they're going to do. And, and write their way through these scenarios, which I think is equally as valuable as actually 
being in, you know, dialogue with your classmates and problem solving. I think both areas we need to provide students to work on. Mm-hmm. Because when they're writing their way through these problems as well, I mean, it is with language that they think. And I think even writing provide well, not even writing, writing does very much so allow you to reflect on the decisions that you're making. So that in itself is a, you know, reflective practice. So what we need to do, and my dad always said this about me was I, I always created problems. <laughs> so what I could do is now I can say that's that. about you too. <laughs> <laughs> I create problems, but I'm getting paid for it because I'm, I, what I have to do is create authentic problems that I know that my students, I'm not just saying, okay, just go wire this up or bend this up. I'm creating these situations or learning environments where my, I know that I'm going to cause points or maybe stop points or whatever for some sort of reflection mm-hmm. or to think to the next step. So it's, there's a lot of work involved in this. There is a lot of work involved in it. And it's, it's interesting because I think that, you know, traditionally as educators in the trades programs, we've been very busy in the classroom. It's like it's a full on day. You know, some of the programs run five hours a day, others, you know, seven hours a day or whatever. But you are absolutely flat out seven hours a day in a traditional classroom, whether it be the hands on or the, you know, the classroom part of it. The difference is when you create these, like you're saying, oh, it's going to take a lot of time to create these problems to present to students. And it does. But once the problem is presented, the students are the ones that are full on for that day. So, you know, now we're actually looking at really that whole piece that you were talking about last week is the learner centered piece. It is Mm -hmm. learner centered. This is their problem. You know, you've spent the time creating it and they do take a lot of time to create. But once that is there, now students have hours and hours of problem solving to you know to to engage their learning as well or to engage them in their learning mhm and so this this um this would fit beautifully beautiful blah 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 sorry <laughs> Let's I will try, not edit that. Look, in. Let's try that <laughs> word again. Come on, Tim. You can let's just let's try with prejudice. Uh, go. <laughs> oh, mercy. Here we go. Okay. So this, I'm trying to use the word blend, believe it or not. Oh. Um, so, so <laughs> this would blend really well into that hot topic that always comes up, especially now in this pivot is assessment. Oh yeah. Right. Where you're, where you're talking about reflective practice, you're talking about them slowing down uh, or even chunking their learning and, and getting them to stop at certain pieces to either draw out, think out, talk out, plan out their next step. Right. And, and even answer the question, okay, why are we doing it this way? Or why would you do it that way? How did, how does that fit in or how does that blend into what we've been waving the flag around with authentic assessments? Mm-hmm. Because a multiple choice exam is not going to reflect that kind of learning, right? And, and, I'm, and I'm suspect in thinking that this is why we don't do a lot of this experiential learning because it doesn't funnel into the exam. I think you're spot on there, Tim. And as you were saying that, I think this comes back to, you know, we were saying just a little bit earlier that there's a lot of experience, hands-on experience embedded into trades programs. And it gets 
misunderstood under the label of experiential. But Mm -hmm. this is a key element, right? The moment you see experience that is assessed in a multiple choice exam, you know Mm -hmm. you have not got experiential learning. And so even if you create experiential learning opportunities and, um, you know, you, you create these scenarios, these problems, or maybe they are innovative problems. Like maybe you haven't created the end result, but you're presenting mm-hmm. it to your students and they have to figure it out. The moment that you turn around and assess, a, you know, an, an inc- sort of an experiential learning opportunity with multiple choice, this is this whole thing when we're looking at those two different theories and then you take, you know, you're basically taking a round peg and trying to shove it into a square hole because these, the, you know, these theories are not compatible. This whole, right. yeah, soapbox. Needs a soapbox. <laughs> go, go. You go, girl. <laughs> oh, <funny. laughs> but yeah, I think, I mean, in regards to assessment, and it is a huge hot button topic right now, and then with this pivot, and I'm just going to go down a quick rabbit trail. I was listening to a podcast the other day where somebody, I think it was Jesse Stommel said, we didn't pivot online. Everybody makes this topic about how we just, you know, we were going one direction. We just changed course. We're going another direction. He's like, there was no pivot. It was a fall on stumble and fall. So we're in the midst of, in, in the great stumble is what we're doing because we're, we're not, like not, none of this has been easy. And so, and then yeah. as we're getting into assessments now, it's identified this huge gap in the sense, just like we're saying, and I'm on my soapbox for a second here, but it identified these huge gaps and we're, we're training our, our tradespeople to be these reflective practitioners, but then we're assessing them through multiple choice exams. But now in this great stumble, we need to get people creating authentic problems that our students can solve in each trade. And that this is where, and if anybody's from a teaching learning center, listening to this, please go talk to your tradespeople and get them in there. I don't, if it takes seconding them away from their department for a bit or giving them a grant, you need these people to help create these things. Because like Sally, what you're saying, we're in front of a class for five to seven hours a day. All the stuff that we've done and three, the three of us have done a lot of stuff has been off the side of our desks or in evenings, right? So yep. if these teaching learning centers or institutes can involve some tradespeople and bring them into your learning center, just to glean some of the experience that they have, this would be a great opportunity to do that. And we could change education. It's funny that you should mention that because I hear that within the province of BC, and I've noticed it across the country, that suddenly there's jobs being posted, teaching and learning centers are looking for a trades representative. Mm. Um, Because the, the, you know, the uniqueness of each discipline, but trades is a culture of its own. And, and that, you know, experience of educational development, but also of having that lived experience, like the lived curriculum in the trades is very different from what we see in our program outlines. And I, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which is, you know, what you're alluded to. And I think that's the bit that we've been creating off the side of our desk. But um, yeah, what, was Jesse Stommel so rightly says, and, and I mean, really, he could have predicted this was going to happen, this pivot to online thing. And it's, um, there's, in the urgency of teachers, there's a great bit by Jesse Stommel where he speaks about the fact that, um, you know, the classroom, the physical classroom mindset 
And he refers to that, that, you know, if that is just then taken forward and now it's put into a 13 inch screen, you, this is mm-hmm. not digital pedagogy whatsoever. No. No. You are yeah. just taking, you've just made your classroom smaller and everybody's got their own little yeah, no, around exactly. it. Yeah. So what, what we've seen, this pivot to online is not online learning. It is traditional learning through a digital, um, you know, whatever we'll call this digital technology, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, we have a way we, I think this is the huge gap really that we're probably heading towards talking about now is <laughs> so, you know, we've got this situation and because of the COVID-19 situation, which really is so unfortunate, we had to wait for something this, you know, catastrophic to happen in order for us to notice that there was a problem or have the catalyst to notice that there's a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, it's good. I mean, I, there have been a lot of people predicting a change has been needed for a long time. Right. And I think what happens is changes of this magnitude never happen unless there's chaos, unless there's a huge crisis. Right. I mean, take it, take a step back and look at your own life. Like the major changes that you've made in your own life have only occurred because of crisis, right? Because it, it has to, it has to touch deep rock bottom in your soul. It has to, it has to touch up against your core value for you to really begin thinking of systemic change in your life. Right. Um, and so when you, when, when I look at the educational system, especially trades, um, there, there was a need for a change for a long time. And some of us were saying, listen, we need to get ready for digital. Digital's here and, and we need to get ready for it and even start working with it. And I think those departments that embraced it early on, like I'm talking like years ago and, and we're messing around with it and failing and succeeding and not really sure what, you know, what it was about, but they were kind of dipping their toe in or throwing stuff in and here and there and calling it blended or calling it remote calling it whatever they wanted to more often than not they were the ones who were more agile when this pancake happened because i like that term that jesse strong is it's a stumble and fall i think of it as like a pancake like everybody just fell on their face and 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 i think you're right like this 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 crisis has really just done a lot to expose the gap uh and the shortfall that we know all of us know has been there for a very long time and we're quite frankly ready to just keep going with it because like, like you said, Chad earlier, there's no time like PD development or course development. And we, we get what, 10 days to, to do something in, in a, in a year. Whereas other parts of the Institute, I mean, their, their contact time is 12 to 16 hours compared to our 30, mm-hmm. you know? So, and PD development, like how many, how many trades people actually take advantage of PD development rather, rather than looking at it as, oh, I get to go to Vegas for a week. <laughs> right. Uh, quite honestly. And so it, it goes back even to, and, and like you said, Chad, is that there's this feathering that happens. See how I did that, Sally? That feathering. Mm-hmm. Nice. nice. Oh, yeah. right. I like it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I can say it. I can't do it. I can say it, but there's this feathering of, of all these different, um, theories and perspectives and um it's it's you can't just piecemeal 
a part of it away and say, okay, that, that's what I'm really going to focus on. Because I think if you do, you do that to the detriment of all these other pieces that feather into that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think. I think lost the point. Yeah, he's a big, big, <laughs> big gap. They're like, uh, you lost us, Carson. Where are you going? Yeah, I know. I always want to call you Carson. Okay. <clears throat> I think that a few things that you said there that really come back to that whole piece around, you know, when you were saying about the time that there is for professional development, for curriculum development yeah. in the trades programs, we know that that is very different from, again, the, the, you know, a, the binary is there whether we like it or not. There's a, an academic vocational divide that still exists today. And every time I have to mention this, I have to say thank you to Plato for this. He shaped that thinking, you know, a yeah. long time ago. It's sort of threaded through there. <laughs> um, but if we shift that epistemological lens and we start looking at trades as education, then suddenly we start treating the educators of trades as educators. And then we would provide them with the same resources as we provide our other educators that teach academic subjects. And I think that this is, um, you know, this is the unfortunate thing as well. When we, this divide is there, we didn't create that divide. We're just we just live within that system, even though we advocate against that system. But um, it does shape our opportunities and it, and it shapes much of the experience, the student experience as well. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, last week I was saying, I think for the instructors now is like a grassroots initiative. And I do believe it is, but like you said, Chad, that's going to be off the side of their desk. We can, you yeah. know, we can, we can find some time and we can definitely, we're finding some support. That's for sure. But we need more. This is mm-hmm. just not a one-off. This has got to be mm-hmm. continuous. The same as if I, if I taught, I don't know. Let's think of something. If I taught in English, I would need that professional development. I would be, I would, I would have that opportunity every year for that professional development, curriculum development. Right. It's a continuous journey. It's not, oh, let's take three months, rewrite all of this. It is something that needs, um, yeah, ongoing very much. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I think, and I'm not saying it's bad to do it off the side of our desk or while we're in the midst of it, because some pretty, you can pi- like using the word pivot again, but you can pivot at that moment. You, if something's not working, then boom, you can go another direction right away. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you took that three months to design, redesign the whole course and not kind of beta test it or whatever, and just go, you might run into lots of issues, but I don't know where I was going with that, <laughs> but I think it's just so, so important <laughs> that we at least attempt, right. Or at least have some, foundation that we can build and work off of. Mm-hmm. I was thinking more, it's, it's kind of like, if you think about the three of us here, we've all decided to continue our education, which has been off the side of our desks as such. You know, we've been doing that in the evenings and on the weekends, and we've all spent a lot of time with educational theory. And then we have applied those, you know, educational theories to 
to trade. So, so you know, there's quite a few of us in the province, as we know, mm-hmm. and I think there's a sort of a building, uh, you know, that group's building right now. So yeah. really yeah. what I was thinking more about this ongoing opportunity for professional development is that, you know, after the provincial instructor's diploma, which I think is a really great start, but that's almost like the concrete piece, Chad, that you were talking about Mm -hmm. earlier with cold. Mm -hmm. So now I've got all these, this concrete terminology, I can explain to you that there's, you know, four key educational theories, but I haven't progressed from there to actually think about being very deliberate of, you know, applying this theory in practice. Or because, mm. you know, I'm so busy teaching five mm. or seven hours directly per day. So I think that's why um, that, that, that professional development, curriculum development needs to be at, become part of the culture for trades, education, trades educators the same as it does if you're a professor at a university or at a college, um, you know, you have that built into your, you know, your year. It's actually, yeah. you know, yeah. in there in the HR plan. So I think, I think that is something that is preventing, preventing this big shift that now is beginning to happen. It's almost like, um, you know, <laughs> when you see the cliffs eroding and they start to crumble down, you know, we've had that crumbling because um, the foundation's been rocked by COVID-19. Mm-hmm. But now we can't just all slip into the ocean in this um, through Zoom. We actually have got to look at different tools. Oh yeah. Yeah, And that's that's a good point. That's so that, I mean, we'll have to do a whole episode on that is how do we, how do we do that? (laughs) Right. That's because I've got, and I'm not sure if I mentioned it last week or not. I don't think I did. There's some instructors out there. I'm part of a community practice now. Actually, there's a few things I want to go on about this, but that there's people out there that are literally taking their laptops and pointing them at the whiteboard and then teaching like they would normally teach in a classroom for their six hours. Right. So that, is not the way to go. It can't happen that way, but they, to their credit, at least they're trying, right? They're, mm-hmm. they are attempting to do this, but they don't know because there's no other tools out there, especially for trades. Mm-hmm. They don't know that how to create videos. They don't know how to create engaging, authentic problems. They, they don't know how to basically use the, the Zoom breakout sessions that you can do. Like there's all these little tools that we're all learning about, but they don't know how to use them and there's nothing out there to teach them. So they're just doing what they did before just to make it happen. And so, mm-hmm. and, and I agree with you. I think that we want to say to these people that have never used, you know, technology before, you know, all credit to you on the 23rd of March this year, you did turn around and, and set up your whiteboard in your kitchen or your bedroom or wherever mm-hmm. it was. And you started teaching your students. And I think, yeah, that took a lot of courage. I know for many of our instructors, it took a huge amount of courage for them to yep. do that. And, and at the same time where I want to say all credit to you, I also want to say, come on, like we need to provide these instructors with more digital tools and we need to get, you know, provide them as well with an understanding of curriculum design. So yes. it's mm-hmm. not, it's not just the technology piece. It's the, the lack of curriculum design experience because yep. 
we we spoke about this as well last week. There's so many trades programs that have prepackaged curriculums. So the textbook has been understood as, as you know as the curriculum. The they come with workbooks. So now in the digital classroom, it's not a different approach to teaching and learning. It's just like oh you know. You, page 22 in your workbook, go ahead and do this. And so then in a way, you know, that learner could actually just have their textbook and their workbook at home. How much, you know, that, that isn't going to reach the level of what we're talking about with experiential learning, because Mm -hmm. really we're talking about developing that full conceptual understanding that enables you just like the jazz pianist and then, you know, the jazz singers to break the rules. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what, this is what competence looks like, not what we shape competency-based education as, which is when you can, put, can meet all of those checkboxes. That isn't true competency because it's been deconstructed. Whereas yeah. we're talking about it as a, you know, as a whole. segue because the second section after experiential learning, which I'm sure we're just scratching the surface on, is this whole idea of competency-based outcomes or competency-based education, right? Is, is, there, is there a relationship between the two? Can that, develop, that relationship develop into something more significant where they're, they're more integrated or are they incompatible? How do you see that? <laughs> I, ready go well here we are it's, we're almost up on the hour again so no we, no no we're not we got we got you, are, you want 10 minutes to talk about competency-based education <laughs> no i want i want 10 minutes of you to tell me what to begin with it and then we'll roll all right well here's one. i would say i i don't like the idea like sally was saying of just putting things into chunks and saying okay if you if you hit these three check marks, you've got this competency covered because you don't, you've got the knowledge about those three chunks checked, but you don't, I wouldn't say you're competent at it. You can regurgitate. Maybe we should call it regurgitation based education <laughs> because that's basically what we're creating, right? So we're, we're creating these students. We're teaching them how to memorize and then throw up their information again. So I don't, I'm not oh. a big, huge fan of it myself. I do think that if, you can make it more of a holistic, organic idea of what we mean by competency. Then it's, it comes down to the language, I guess, because usually when you, when we talk about competency based education, there's modules and within those are there's competencies within those competencies, we have outcomes. And as long as we check off all those outcomes have been hit by a test or whatever, then we say that they're competent in that, in that, and then we move on to the next competency. But the problem is competencies aren't just there. They aren't siloed. Like you can't just have this competency and then not have it attached to this competency. And then I'd get pushed back on that saying, well, no, it's, it's not like that because it's just scaffolding. Well, no, but you, we still are siloing these things. You know, you get a done before you can move on to B, but sometimes it's ab, right? You're mixing them together, a, B. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we can't. And so I, I don't know that's, I'm getting on my soapbox 
topics. And again, I'm going to jump off it, but I think there's a danger. We have to really, anytime we're talking about learning and teaching, we really have to look at the language of what we're saying and what we mean by behind what we say. So for some people, competency-based is very comfortable because then they just have to make sure that, you know, all the check boxes are hit and they can assess by, by multiple choice tests to make sure that those check boxes are done. But education's messy and it needs to be messy and that's part of it. But people are afraid of the mess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, if, if, if I can just hop on that for a sec. Um, <laughs> We're all hopping. We're all hopping, hopping on this one. We're hopping. <laughs> yeah, that's my, that's my bad English accent. We're hopping. That was awful. That's um, we're that was hopping. Good, Carson. <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay, anyway, I'll stop doing that now because that's just weird. Um, so, okay, so what would you call it then, right? Um, because we've got this big machine that that spits out outlines that that have competencies on them and like how do, how do we approach that i that i don't know if we figure that if we can figure that out we <laughs> solved education Tune into next episode and, and maybe <laughs> next week i'll finish the internet but it's just one of those things that yeah, okay that's right um that's right i think they i would love to see elt mixed with cbe and mesh it all together if we could figure a way to create I understand the need for let's yes, we have to have structure. And I think competency-based education okay. does that very well. It provides structure, right? We do need those right, outcomes. Right. And I think outcomes are so very important. I mean, I, I think Sally of all people would agree with that being the biggest outcome fan in the world, but having those starting with your outcomes first and then moving back, yeah. like the backwards design, like we talked about last week. Right. Yes. Important. Right. But I think sometimes we get too caught up in the whole step process that we forget that, we can actually, sometimes you can jump from A to D and then learn mm-hmm. about B and C as you go. Or maybe that jump from yeah. A to D causes you to learn about B and C. It's just, it's so messy. Right. And I guess that's why I yeah, love it. it yeah. Why I love education. But at the same time, it's why we can get into these heated debates about it. Sure. And I think you make a good point because we've seen some of that happen with math and science, especially in the piping trades where it used to be a line item and you used to spend a solid week in the classroom doing nothing but math and science. And then once you're done, you write an exam and off you go. Now they've taken that or now the, the piping trades in BC have taken that and said, we're going to teach it in context. So no more is it a line item in the, in the outline. We're now going to take it out and we're going to put it in context. So when we're talking about offsets, we're going to use some math. When we're talking about thread engagement, we're going to use some math. When we're talking about hydronic heating, we're going to use math and science. We're talking about gas fitting. We're talking about science. So, the, in that regard, I think we're. I think that move is moving towards what you're talking about, Chatters. Is this integration yes. of of the check boxes into the actual content? But it it from my perspective, brother and sister, it brings me right back to the whole thing of assessment. Mm-hmm. That if if we're gonna go through this whole pancake exercise of getting off the floor and and looking at what we're doing and and developing it for something different why are we not doing this with our assessments we've got to start with our assessments we 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 have for sure and like i'm just gonna pick it hop in here quickly and like (laughs) hop in in. right (laughs) chad you're right the you know that you said about the debates like this is why we argue about this you know these conversations we need to do that more we have been led to believe because we're educators of trades because we have predetermined course outlines that we don't need to debate it 
as educators, we need to have these conversations, these, and we are, and this is another, I think, positive thing that's come out of this really unfortunate situation. Um, because we are talking about this more and more and more. And, and, and even though we're talking about it more, we know that our colleagues are too. So I think mm-hmm. that's, that's, we're heading in the right direction. The one thing I'd say about the existing, you know, program outlines that we have and the competency base pieces that they provide outlines that they don't necessarily provide outcomes because an, an outcome is a collective of those course um, objectives as such. And I believe that in the competency base piece, like you said, they're deconstructed. They, uh, they live in silos and they don't, in the way it currently is, they don't come together and form, you know, a full conceptual understanding as an outcome. So I think the competency-based piece is very useful. One of the reasons it's very favorable is because it's measurable. Mm -hmm. And so we know that, and if it's measurable, it's cheaper to provide this form of education. But nursing, an RN is... um, competency-based education as well, a BSN. Mm -hmm. But when we look at a BSN, I think if we can borrow from, again, it's the epistemological lens that we shaped the BSN program with that allows it to be competency-based and yet look differently than what a trades program does. So it's almost as if, if we were to glance over there at Germany, which have they do have competency base, but they haven't separated it from academic mm. either. So, right. um, yeah, that's it. Goes back to that. I think the whole big difference is I think what we need to see is a shift of training versus education. I think, and we've talked about this before, but we're not trainers and we've been told that we are, right? So, the moment, like you said, Sally, last week, you left industry on Friday and you're in front of a class on Monday. So, yeah you are a trainer at that point, but you're, you're not, you're at the beginning of your new career as an educator. And we keep talking about trades training and we need to get rid of that word. Again, I get hung up in language a lot, but we're not trades trainers, we're trades educators. And if we could take that shift of that word and that could blow the whole thing wide open. And then we can start focusing on the proper authentic assessments that need to happen. And I know these discussions are just happening now, just starting now, but why not look to nursing? Because nurses, like yeah. that's, that's a great sure. model that we can use, a great framework. Mm-hmm. And it's the same idea. They've got hands-on skills that they need to learn, yeah. but they also have problem solving they need to learn. They have empathy they need to learn. Like yeah. there's so much in that framework. And they get to learn the science behind the decisions that they make. Mm-hmm. And, and sure. you know, yeah. you're talking about language. Yes, it's good that you focus on language. We should all be focusing on this language because the fact that we've been given this heading of training, I mean, we only, it's only now that we sit under the Ministry of Advanced Education for the longest time we didn't, we weren't mm-hmm. even recognized. Yep. And so I, I think we really need to bring this to, to the forefront, that we are educators. And then as when we re- identify as educators, that gives us a different re- level of responsibility but, and authority yep. as well. So I, yeah, I, I think that, I think this is one of our, our first steps and, um, and the nursing, yeah, the nursing programs, 
if we were to look at the structure of those and then compare them and say, okay, they're both competency-based, why is this one privileged over another one? I think that would be a very good rabbit hole to go down for a while. To, yeah, for us maybe, to better maybe for our next episode, yes. maybe we can set up some outcomes for that discussion. Uh, I think we should. I think we should. Oh, mercy. And, and, and in reverse, design our way back to the beginning yeah, in the intro. That's right. We're just going to go around in a full right. circle here, aren't we? That's right. We're going to give. That's up. right. Well, we need this. This podcast is called Praxis Pedagogy, where we're putting into practice what we're talking about. Right. When so that's good. And and go, no, I, go ahead, just please. one last point before we kind of start wrapping up is. I think we keep talking about these discussions that are happening, these debates that are happening and they need to keep happening. I know the three of us are involved together. We have these discussions. We're chatting all the time during the week We're we're in discussions with other people, but there's so much power in a community of practice. And so if we could get, and I, and I'm starting to see it now, but if we could get trades educators to come together and discuss and talk and it's starting to happen, I know, but there's yep. so much power in that. And I've, I am um, part of a group now that just started up a few about a month ago where it's just electrical trades instructors. And we meet every Friday. We didn't meet this week because one guy had to go fishing apparently, but <laughs> oh. I know, oh. Serge, you know who you are, but they, um, Oh, and got called out too. <laughs> nice. But we're, we're meeting as a Serge, community of practice because it was Serge's idea that we, you know, him and I kind of got together, started talking about these issues that we had. He is in Ontario. I'm in British Columbia. But we're both right. educators. We're both educators in the electrical side of things. So we, we started meeting. Now there's four or five of us meeting and it's growing. And we're talking about contextual issues, right? That, right. that And that's why I think it's important that we have these. Another one, Ed's, Ed from Durham College is started one with Tim for yep. plumbing, right? So yep. it's, we're seeing these little pockets come up. But if we could also get one giant one, not giant one, but one over umbrella mm -hmm. community of practice for like what we're doing right now, where we could have these discussions mm -hmm. as trades educators, it doesn't matter if, because right now we have, it sounds like a bad joke, but we have a plumber, a hairdresser, and an electrician sitting on a zoom session. <laughs> but if, if we could, there's no shame in know, that. One day we'll meet in a, it's no shame we'll in walk that. Into a bar with the rabbi and, a, and the Pope. Right. So <laughs> Easy. <laughs> but I think these discussions amongst, like I've learned so much from my relationship with both of you. Can you imagine if we just open that up to other people? Right. So yeah, that's the yeah. thing that I would encourage anybody who's listening out there, please look into like reaching out beyond your trade, reaching out to others. You can reach out to the three of us for sure on mm -hmm. Twitter. We're very yeah. active there. So, and then let's just get yeah. these discussions happening. Yeah. And that, and that's, that's a good point. And, and, um, I'm, I'm, it's, it's a little ways away. It's not happening until the fall, but we're having, we're going to have a provincial trade summit where part of that time is bringing people together. It's about networking. It's about this, this mixing of people from different backgrounds, different disciplines to talk about education. And, um, cause one of the things I've always been frustrated about when it comes to, uh, trades, uh, conferences is that there's very little professional development. It's all about product slinging like, or, or textbook slinging mm -hmm. and very little of, okay, so let's, let's all have a discussion, a robust discussion about experiential learning. And, and if we need to bash the outlines, let's bash the outlines, mm -hmm. but, but let's come out the other side with some 
maybe one or two steps that we can move towards fixing some of this stuff. Yeah, right? and a session, like have sessions on developing authentic assessments. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's what we need. We need these yeah, yeah. concrete sessions. Like as, you know, educational developers, we can put together a session that people that are interested in that, but we can have also our colleagues running sessions. Yes. Like, you know, yeah. I'm working with... Uh, uh, next week, working with, I think, eight trades instructors. And um, I've also bringing in two or three of my peers to provide examples in their different disciplines of the authentic assessments mm. that they've developed. So I think you're, and, and I think this comes back to your suggestion here, Chad, is the grassroots initiative. Like we're doing this. I mean, Tim, your influence, you know, uh, your influence throughout the province with bringing together tradespeople is really beginning to show like that, you know, around. And I mean, Chad, you've had that um, online presence for a long while too. And I think, I think the flywheel is beginning to turn and we've got this added push right now. So mm -hmm. I do, but I do believe that we're in a positive place or yes. in a more, mm -hmm. yeah, I think more so than ever before in, my, you know, my history of being an educator for trades. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. For sure. All right. Well, time is up. And uh, <laughs> although we could keep talking, I could keep talking all day because, you know, this is, this is my Friday. Yeah, Friday jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're not talking although, about your Fridays. We're all yeah. ending. Okay. We won't Friday. talk about my Fridays. It's all good. I know. My Fridays suck. When I, I, was, I had a meeting suck. yesterday with the guy who's like, every day is Blur's Day and we're now stuck in the month of January. Oh, yes. Like, exactly. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. a perfect description because here in BC or in Vancouver, Lower Mainland, it has been awful weather-wise out there. Eh? And so, oh, and then with COVID, we're, we're, every day is the same as the last. So, Blur's Day, January. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and, and I'm seeing sad things on Twitter. Like somebody said, like I just saw Rajiv, he just tweeted, like, I'm having my first yeah. day off since January. I'm yeah. like, what? Yeah. What? What? And then, yeah. like, even, even, even in my conversation with Brenna yesterday, I'm like, so how you doing? She's like, well... I'm still screaming, but it's a different level of screaming, <laughs> right? And I'm like, oh, mercy, yeah, right? Yeah. So time. everybody, you got to take care of yourself out there. Take, take some time for yourself, right? Even if it's a couple hours, like just yes. self-care is so important, right? And, and woo-woo and all that other stuff. Put it out in the closet. You got to take care of yourself because if you're not taking care of yourself, how can you take care of other people? When your well starts running dry, Yeah. Really hard to have empathy and, and and compassion for those who are in your class, right? And anyway, this isn't going to turn into a Brendan Bouchard kind of <laughs> podcast. But anyway, so thanks so much, both of you, for taking the time to uh, sit down and talk about experiential learning. We just barely touched on competencies. I know that will come up in our next episode. Mm -hmm. Can't wait. Good. Yep. It's been good. <laughs> All right. Well, take care, everybody, and uh, thank you. Thanks, thank Tim. you.